Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Keep the Line Moving, the podcast designed to talk about leadership, life, and inspiration. I am your host, Chris Gargano, and today we have on somebody who is at the top of his profession. He has done a lot in the world of broadcasting, and he also tells us about the art of communication. This individual is Bob Wischusen. For ESPN, he does college football, college basketball, the NHL, and golf. He's also the play-by-play radio voice of the New York Jets. How did he get there? Coming out of Boston College, he will tell us the story. I'm glad you're with us. This conversation is inspiring. It begins now with Bob Wischusen. Not many people get to say they fulfilled a lifelong dream, which is to broadcast for one's hometown team. Take us to the seven-year-old Bob Wischusen and what was going through his mind when he thought about what he might want to do when he got older. Yeah, I knew, I mean, you know, every human being is different. I can't explain why I knew when I was seven years old that I wanted to do this, uh, but I knew. Um, it did. I was joked that it didn't take me long to figure out that I was not going to be a pro athlete. You know, most kids when they're seven dream of being the point guard for the Knicks or second baseman for the Yankees, I realized at a very young age, that was not going to be me. Um, But I was as drawn to the broadcasters, the games on TV, the atmosphere, the crowds, just big sporting events as much as I was the athletes and the games themselves. So like I can rattle off, I'm sure the names of the broadcasters, of all of the teams that I grew up listening to and watching just as easily as I can the players Um, because I was drawn to that world for whatever reason. And so I was, I was pretty focused, you know, I I knew enough all the way as a kid and through high school that, you know, when I got to college, like the second day I was at school, I went to the campus radio station and I was basically like, do you guys do sports? Because I want to be involved with that. So valuable. That is tremendous advice. And so when you listen to what you're saying about liking and finding your passion and then loving, right? There's people out there thinking, so how do I do that? How do I find what I love? And I get asked that a lot too. You know, you and I are around the same age. We have similar backgrounds. And I get asked that, how do I find what I love? And I always respond this way. I'm sure you do as well, giving talks and such. It is this, what lights you up? What do you pay attention to? When you are doing something, what's what do you look forward to? I'm simplifying something that's very difficult, but if you start there and do the work to figuring out what it is, man, do I like to write? Do I like to storytell? Do I like graphic design? When I'm doing graphic design, how does that make me feel? Can I make a career out of it? And to your earlier point, you can make careers out of a lot of different things nowadays. Yeah, There's wonderful I mean, opportunities. But no doubt. Like if you are into music. I have a son who loves music. He wants music to be a part of his experience at college. And I told him, great. I said, also make like maybe business management or make computers or that part of your career in college as well. Because think of how many people, you and I are perfect examples. We are in the sports industry. We don't play. I don't coach. I'm not the quarterback, but I'm in it. Part of my passion for that has allowed me to find a career where I'm part of that world. There are a million different ways to be involved in the world of music without necessarily being like the lead guitarist for, you know, Aerosmith. Like you you can find a career where music can be a part 
and just when you get to college especially try to take a wide range of classes that opens as many doors as possible within that alley that you think is your passion and you know there's there's a lot of different career paths that people can take i think where at least part of what they're most passionate about can be you know baked into the dna of their career and to me that that's what you need you need to find and if you love animals don't be an accountant right but right. the world needs accountants like if you love numbers if you love crunching numbers okay that's great then please do my taxes if that's what you're passionate about then and you're not going to be miserable going to that cubicle every day um then great then that by all means you know god bless but you know the guy that that doesn't like numbers that doesn't like you know math that doesn't like the world of finances that doesn't like sitting in a cubicle but then some monster company offers you $150,000 for your first job right out of college and you're like oh let me go to this job I'm miserable at every day because that paycheck's great to me that's not the way to go i think you're signing yourself up for um, more disappointment than happiness just if all you're doing is striving to make as much money as possible and that's what stress looks like is when you're doing that when you're working at a job that you don't that doesn't really you know motivate you or or you enjoy that's what stress is. So, Bob, let's back up a little bit. Despite the fact you knew what you wanted to do, which was great, you still put in the work. And when you love something, that work is easier. It makes sense. The two go together. So when you were a student at Boston College on the college radio station and getting internships, it led to your first break. Tell everybody what that first break was about. And obviously doing research, but knowing you, that is a great story, you know, how you got your first break and where you were going to go, but then you pivoted because you had worked hard. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and I tell people, I mean, you said the magic word, at least for our business, I've always found, which is internships. Um, no one in my industry has ever once asked me where I went to college, what was my GPA, what classes did I take, what did I study? Not all anybody in our business wants to know who have you worked with? Who have you worked for? What have you done? And that's in production. That's in somebody behind the scenes. That's, you know, whether you're running a camera, directing in the truck, you're a radio producer, you're a talk show host, you're a play-by-play -play guy. Um, it's an experience-based business. So I always give the advice of when you are in college, communications major, and you get to be a junior, or even right before your senior year, you need to be investigating what those internship opportunities are in whatever market you are in. And to me, sometimes like going to a school in the bigger media market, the better, because the more plentiful the internship opportunities will be. So I grew up in suburban New York City, went to school at Boston College. So I'm in two of the biggest media markets basically from the start right there. And as a junior in college before my senior year, I was an intern at WFAN, and then I got an internship at WEEI in Boston, which is the WFAN of Boston at the time, um, and still is. I mean, you know, multiple sports radio stations in cities now. Back then, there was only one per city, um, and also got an internship with the Red Sox radio network and did that, mm. of course, through school. I mean, there was an internship component to my major where I would get college credit for going and getting these internships. And you're interviewing for these internships like you interview for a job. 
How do you find out where the internships are? Well, where do you want to intern? You want to be a writer? You want to intern at like, you know, one of the major websites, you know, The Athletic or whatever. You want to be in radio? You want to be in television, radio station, TV? Call. Call the place up. Find out what their main phone number is. Call and get a human being on the phone. And I guarantee there's a person somewhere in those offices whose job it is, if they have an internship program, to coordinate the internship program. So I called up. Do you offer internships? Yes, we do. How do I apply? Great. And here, I'm sending you a resume. I'm sending you a cover letter. They called me in for an interview at WFAN. I went in and got it. And through those internships and the guys I interned for, that's how I got my first job. So now I'm out of college a couple of months, and I'm calling those guys um, and asking, you know, like, do you have anything? And I'm being told, no, we don't have anything. You know, we'll keep you in mind, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they liked me, but they just didn't have anything at the time. And all of a sudden, probably about, I don't know, six weeks after I had graduated school, um, one of the guys that I called said, oh, you know what? I just heard about an opportunity from a buddy of mine in Miami. Here's his number. Tell him I told you to call. And that's it. I mean, I was basically hired off of that, off of the guy I interned for, not only hearing about the job, but having the confidence in me to be referred. And that's really what you want to do with your internship. You want to work your tail off for whoever you're interning for, because if that person doesn't have an opportunity for you when you graduate, you're hoping that they'll have the confidence and, you know, want to hold up their reputation as well to then be willing to make a call on your behalf to someone um, and allow them to use your name, you know, you to use their name. And, and he did. And so now the guy that I called in Miami, um, who eventually became my boss, knew people not only at WEI, but also at WFAM. And sure. so made his due diligence calls to both places that I had interned. And I became a radio producer in Miami. And, and I was very upfront with them. I said, look, I want to be on the air. I'm not just, you know, satisfied to be. And they said, well, we get that. But, you know, we're hiring you for an off-air job. I hope and so I'll work every hour I can and as hard as I can. But just so you know, I was upfront about my career goals. And within about six months, I had an opportunity on the air just because I was kind of in the walls. I was there, you know, they needed right, a hole filled right. and I was a convenient solution. And, um, you know, by the time I was 22 years old, I was a regular on-air host of radio shows in Miami. And that's kind of where my on-air career began. But it all, the genesis of all of it was the internships, no doubt. Right. And, you know, and you learned a lot and I'm sure you did a lot of listening and asking a ton of questions knowing you. Right. But even the 22 the year old version of you probably was really into learning and understanding the, the mechanics, per se, of behind the scenes and then on the air. And then you were recommended because of that hard work. And Bob, for myself, I, I took a very, very similar path. But what we're not saying is that I, you know, and this was before the internet, everybody. Yes, I know you're probably going to drive off the, the road right now, but this is how long ago that was. And I used to say, and it's the truth, I could have wallpapered six houses with rejection letters that I received in that process. So people don't understand that it might take a while to get to where you want to go, but it's definitely worth it. It's a great journey, don't you think, Bob? The ups and downs, the failures, that's where you learn. You know, when I interned or interviewed for the internship at WFAN, um, Eric Spitz, who was at the time the assistant program director and has now gone on to be one of the executives that runs all of the, um, 
the New York-based sports channels on Sirius. You know, you put your jacket and tie on, and you walk into the office, and Eric's sitting behind his desk, and he sits me down. He says, you know what? There's somebody else I'd like to bring in here. He's a former intern. We recently hired him. Um, and I just like to have him sit in and chat part of these interviews and get his perspective as well, because he's been through what you're trying to go through right now. So this right. guy comes in, you know, from the control room and sits down. Now it's the three of us talking and the, the kid or the newly hired employee that they called in to sit in on my internship interview was Ian Eagle. Oh. So Ian was hired off of his internship to be the board operator, like the button pushing guy for Mike and the Mad Dog. So he was behind the scenes, former intern, working at WFAN. He, I, I want to say three years older than me. So literally had just gone through this process of finishing college, being an intern, getting hired. And uh, yeah, so it's me and Eric and Ian Eagle in, in the room together. And Ian was part of my internship interview, asking me questions. Um, you know, and now, you, you know, you can see where the career paths eventually have gone. So um, everybody's got a different story to tell. Sure. We all basically start from the same place of just get your foot in the door and get the first opportunity. And then once you do, then it's kind of up to you to work your rear end off and make the most of it. Well said. And speaking of making the most of opportunities, so I don't want to fast forward too much, but I think there's a lot of people out there that want to know, you know, how you got started with the New York Jets as the play-by-play voice, obviously, uh, where you and I met and worked together. Let's look at this. So you, you graduate college from Boston College in 93. You go to Miami. You spend some time in New York doing some talk shows. You're, you're evolving as a broadcaster, getting into play-by-play. Howard David leaves the New York Jets booth, but I'm oversimplifying it. What was, the, what was a key moment where you knew that that opening occurred and you were right for the job? Take us through that process. I'm not sure if a lot of folks know the story, but tell it to us because you have been the play-by-play voice on the radio for the New York Jets since 2002. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, for 21 years. Um, you know, and again, it, it's never as easy or simple as it might appear on the surface. Um, going back to 1996, that was when I was first sent by WFAN out to cover the Jets on a regular basis. So that really was the, the jumping off point of my affiliation with the Jets. Now, WFAN could have just as easily said, you know what, go cover the Yankees or go cover the Mets or go cover the Knicks. Or, and sometimes I did for brief periods of time, but those teams kind of had quote unquote beat reporters. They needed one for the Jets. And I was still young enough that I was kind of trying to find my way, like just any opportunity that you have that you can throw my way, I'll take it. Um, and if you would ask me back then, what did I want to do? Like, what would my career goal be? It was pretty much right. What was right in front of me? Like, it would be great right. to be a regular talk show host on WFAN and watch the games and yell at people during the week about the games and take calls and then watch the games again on the weekend. What, what could be more fun than that? Um, so got hired to be the pre and post game host for the Jets in 97 as well. So covered them starting in 96. 97 took over as the pre and post game host. Ian actually was the voice of the Jets for one season. 1997, he was the voice of the Jets. 98, CBS got the NFL and they hired him off of that to be, and he's been at CBS ever since. And that's when Howard David came in 
Um, so I was kind of the backup guy for Howard for four or five years, I guess, 98, 99, 2000. Yeah, four years. Um, Howard not only did the Jets, but also did Monday Night Football for Westwood One, the national broadcast, mm-hmm. and also was the radio voice of the Celtics for part of that time as well. So he had some kind of an agreement where if the Jets were on Monday night or, you know, he would do the national broadcast or he could miss like two or three Jet games to for Celtics conflicts or whatever. So each year I was given the opportunity to do a couple to maybe four Jets games as like the backup guy. And, you know, really discovered my love of calling the games that way um, because I realized even as much as I thought I wanted to be a talk show host that, um, you know, being at the game is really what we're all most passionate about. Like being at the game and being a part of the game was a little bit more fun than waiting for the game to be over to then talk about it. Um, And so then Howard got the Miami Dolphins job. And after what was probably a much longer process than necessary of other people being interviewed and auditioned and what I thought, it was as simple as I've been the backup guy for four years. As right. soon as Howard leaves, I'm going to get a call in 10 minutes. Hey, Howard left. Congratulations. You're now the guy. That's not the way it went. Um, one of the executives in the building had a buddy in Miami who was a big Jet fan, who was a broadcaster down there. I mean, he wanted to bring him up. There were internal discussions about who should get the job. I had to kind of play a waiting game for about five or six months. And at one point thought I didn't have the job before finally they hired me. Um, but it's never, it's never easy, right? Like it's never, you know, it's never served you on a silver platter the way you think it should be. And so, you know, I played the waiting game and it worked out. So that's a good, that's a really good segue into leadership and, and what the podcast is also about inspiration, leadership and life stories, of course. So look at that. So you just summarized something really interesting right there. So you're the backup to Howard David, Howard David's the main play-by-play guy. You're the backup. You've been doing it for several years as the backup. So only two people are calling New York Jets football on the radio, Howard David and Bob Wischusen. Howard David leaves, you would think logically in the world of business, Bob Wischusen easily steps into the role. But as you just articulated, it's never that easy. And those are the challenges that people go through. Young, old, medium, doesn't matter. Those are the challenges, and it's not about the challenge. It's how you deal with it. Now, we're talking about first-world issues here. I get it. How did you deal with that five- to six-month time period where the no-brainer was taking a little bit longer than it should have, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I went through the natural emotions that you would go through. Right. Right? Like, I, I felt disrespected. I felt unappreciated. I felt and, – and to be honest, had I not gotten the job, Right. In 2002, I would have left the Jets like my affiliation with the Jets would have ended there. I remember telling my agent at the time that I've been kind of plugging away here for four years as the backup guy. If I'm not given this job, I'm not going to stick around and continue to be the pre and post game host for a different person to come in and get the He's like, yeah, I get it. We'll, we'll look for something else. And I, I definitely would have left. So I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. But the Jets team president back at the time had been the team president of the Miami Heat. And he had kind of just arrived one year earlier as this all took place. So I hadn't really built up any credibility with him. The people who knew me and knew I should get the job 
were the people that had been in the building the whole time. The new team president arrives and the voice of the Miami Heat, who he was, I guess, tight with. And this is as simple sometimes as just one person having a subjective opinion. He was like, you know, the guy that calls the Heat games down in Miami, he's originally from Long Island. He loves the Jets. His dream job would be the Jet radio job. I'm going to hire him. And it was actually written in the paper that wow. he had gotten the job. Like somebody leaked it to a reporter that this is the person. I read it in the paper that I didn't have the job. It was just a matter of fact blurb in the New York Post. You know, this guy from Miami is the new radio voice of the Jets, and he's a Long Island native, and he's going to come back and forth and do the games. And it's funny. The day that I read that in the paper, I was going out to Long Island to call an arena football game for MSG. And our halftime guest at the arena football game was going to be Terry Bradway, who at mm. the time was the Jets GM. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm reading in the paper that I just got screwed and I didn't get this job. And one of the guys who screwed me is now going to be the guest of the game I'm about to call at halftime. I'm going to have to interview him. Jeez. So now I drive out to Long Island, do the whole first half. Terry comes walking into our booth at halftime for the pre-booked interview. And I said to him, I said, you can't be happy to see me. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I didn't get the job. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I read in the paper today. I didn't get the job. It's in the New York Post. You have hired this guy from Miami. He's like, no, he didn't. I said, I'm, do you want me to show you the article? He's, I'm just telling you. I'm in the room. I'm part of these discussions. We have not made a decision yet. Hang tight. And he threw me a lifeline. Just coincidentally, if he hadn't been the guest of the game at halftime that day, I, I don't know. I might have just quit on the spot the next day. For, I, who knows? Um, you know, how I, who I would have talked to next or how I would have reacted. But it just so coincidentally happened that someone that knew that the article in the paper wasn't true was someone, one of the two or three people in the room, um, happened to be, I'm crossing paths with that guy that day. All right, let's transition to coaches. Tell me about a coach over the years, college, other pro teams, that has jumped out at you. Like, I enjoy engaging with this individual. I understand why the players respond. It's not so much always about championships, but just how maybe perhaps they're creating an environment for winning. Tell me who comes to mind when I bring that question to you. I mean, there are a million of them. And in many ways, they all... I guess in their own way have similar qualities, but they can be so sure. different. Like you can sit in a meeting with Nick Saban and then the following week you could be in a meeting with Dabo Sweeney and those two guys, I mean, who's one more than them, but at the same time, they're not approaching it. Certainly that meeting with you the same way. So, um, but I would say that, you know, the, the common theme with all of them is just, they've got the same passion that the players do, right? If not more, um, you know, Dabo Sweeney has definitely developed a culture of kind of wrapping his arms around the player. And I think that certainly appeals to today's athlete as much as anything where, you know, they have a belief there. Like if they just get you inside the building, you're going to commit because who wouldn't want to go there and play for that coach. So, um, but the coaches that I enjoy talking to the most are just, again, like the straight shooters that understand I, I'm not there to break a story. 
I'm not there to hear from you that your quarterback is hurt and then run back outside the room five minutes and be the first person to tweet it. That's not my job. I want to know your quarterback's hurt so that I'm preparing for the quarterback that's going to play. I'm more than comfortable not telling anyone your quarterback's hurt. But if you don't want to tell me the starting quarterback's hurt, and I'm going to invest all of this time prepping the game for a guy that you know right now isn't going to play, you know, the guys that I respect the most are the ones that say, look, you got to keep this between us, but here's where we're at. Here are our problems. Here's who's going to play in the game. This guy's going to be out. Great. Now you're allowing me to do my job. Right. That's really all I'm after. And so the guys that are the straightest shooters where that's concerned are the ones that I appreciate the most. Bob, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Could have talked to you for another five hours, but you got a, a plane to catch. So go do so, my friend. I'm going to do that right now. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Bob. And we thank Bob very much for being on the show. My number one takeaway is this. When Bob was telling us those stories about being in those meetings with executives, whether as an intern or later as a professional broadcaster, he said he appreciated straightforward communication. You don't have to like the answer or what the person is saying, but it allows you to understand and react accordingly. And he said, we're all adults and we can handle it. And I thought that was a great point for us all to have as a takeaway. We thank Bob very much for being on the show. We also thank Paul Salazar as our podcast producer. And we thank you for watching and listening each and every week to keep the line moving. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. We thank you for listening to Keep the Line Moving. We would love it if you subscribed or left a review. For more podcast episodes, check out our YouTube page. If you'd like to work with the Gargano Leadership Group, check out our website. This has been a GLG production, copyright 2023. For our podcast producer, Paul Salazar, and our marketing coordinator, Savin Narwhal. Have a great week, everyone.